Hello, this is Glenda Taylor. Welcome to the One and All Wisdom podcast. Today I've decided, with some trepidation, to share with you in this podcast something I wrote after a morning meditation recently, during a week chock full of difficulty. Texas ice and snowstorm, political violence and mayhem, pandemic, and deep personal concerns about several young people in my life, including one of my grandchildren, who are in hospital so disturbed by life as it is for them as to be suicidal or otherwise in danger of disintegration. I have trepidation about sharing what I wrote after that meditation because I never want anything I say to be taken as some sort of absolute, Glenda says, fixed sort of thing. Because on another day, I'll most certainly think something else or feel some other way or or think something more or some variation or even contradiction of whatever today's experience is. I'm always changing like everything else. But this week... I've been walking the razor's edge of doing my own practices, reaching out to others, listening with an open heart, and praying in all the ways I know how to pray. Like everyone else, I've been holding on for dear life to all that is holy and healing, including prayer and meditation. The following, then, is my after-the-fact translation into words of the effect of one of my vastly more diffuse morning meditations, contemplations, that actually brought me peace. Advance warning, it's going to get mystical in this particular podcast. Unlike many others I've shared on different subjects when I am in different moods, here goes. Here's what I wrote. Thinking of praying for my grandson, my dearly loved young grandson, and of all the young ones out there, so vulnerable, so sensitive, so affected by the trauma of the times. I send out to you my prayer, my thoughts, my love, my grandmotherly endurance and stubborn tenacity, my holding on to life's goodness despite its heartbreaks. Can you hear me? Can you feel this, my silent prayer? Through the window I watch as an unseen wind moves gently the budding branches of a leafless dogwood tree, reminding me of all that's unseen, unseeable, but real, including my prayer. May it move these young ones as the unseen wind moves the branches of the tree outside. The unseen wind, unseen prayers. These remind me of the unpainted place in a watercolor, the place of the most important highlight, the place where the light is most present, where the artist leaves the white paper unpainted, rather paints around the invisible highlight with various tones and shades of color and shape in order somehow to show something, some contours, intimations of what we call reality. But is not the unseen highlight 
like the unseen wind and my unseen prayer also real, perhaps most real, though unseen, real like the like the unspoken presence of love between two old people, or the unfathomable love between a silent infant following with its eyes its nearby mother's movements and its mother's hovering adoration. Love, the great unseen presence. But these are words pointing only, of course, for it is beyond the ability, even in a heartfelt prayer, to capture in a limiting net of words or sounds or images the unseen presence of whatever is most real, the ultimate reality. Words fail at the point of the most real. Though God knows we mortals keep trying, overflowing with words, especially this week. This week I and most everyone else have been dropped into experiences that brought out of us many words, words of anger, of sorrow, of blaming, of predicting, reasoning, words, words, as we watched violence on TV or attended the dying loved ones or shivered in our very homes without heat or water or power. We've had lots of words, but for most of us, no words have released the knot of disturbance in our chests, in our minds, in our hearts. And so my long-practiced inclination, sit still, be still, silent, listen, feel, resonate with what is. Yes, all of this, but also the unseen, the unseeable, the most real listen for, feel, resonate with, especially that which is most real, that love, that all-pervading, always-present love, that light that I know is real. In this time of trauma, can I find it, feel it, be it, that love, unseen though it is for me right now? Can I be still, sit, wait, and listen? I do sit still and listen to the rain and to the music of a special playlist once selected for days like today, times like this, and I go deep into meditation, thankfully beyond words, gate, gate, beyond, beyond the beyond, where as it suddenly comes to me whole, that here comes the mystical part, <laughs> all all of all of this, all this week's events, all everything, all life, my life, my grandson's precious, fragile life, all life, all life is one life. All life is one life, divine life. We are living part of God's life in us. Wait, am I saying that a living God suffers in us? Isn't that what Christianity has always taught? Jesus, God, suffered, even died, suffering on a cross. Didn't the Buddha leave his comfortable palace to 
do what? To experience the suffering of the world as the world was, is. Isn't suffering part and parcel of how things are, as the Hindus represent in depicting Kali, the feminine aspect of God, God is she who, like Mother Nature, is all and everything, birth, life, death, joy, suffering. Hindus, like Christians, have built into their religion the notion that the very nature of things includes suffering, along with, along with the beauties and the joys and the wondrous pleasures and this truth is taught in story after story all over the world in all times, like the African stories of Oya, goddess of the storm, and the Mesoamerican stories of Coatlake, who is depicted almost like Kali's sister, with skulls hanging like garlands around her neck. Stories in texts and spiritual teachings all over the world show that, yes, God, whatever that is, or is called, lives in us and in all else and yes suffers with us in us and also also redeems revives reimagines recreates enlivens births new joy and pleasures and creativity and wonder both and yes and i can no longer say yes that not that but rather, yes, that, all of that. As one of my Native American teachers once told me, you don't have to like how things are or agree with how things are. You're even allowed to argue with spirit and say how things ought to be. But if you are and know you are part of spirit, part of what your world calls God, then it is for you the godding in you to participate in creating that which you envision, that better world you want, not just sit around expecting that the world ought to be different. Make it different, he said, by doing your part. We may sing or dance or pray for rain, for good harvest, but first we must plant the corn, hoe the corn, and yes, enjoy eating the corn when we can or grieve the ruined harvest when that happens. But let what you focus on grow corn. Don't get caught up in some idea of perfection, of oughts and shoulds and whys and all that. That doesn't grow corn, he said to me. So the ancients and the elders, the wise ones, tell us it is in having an expectation a sense of entitlement. It is in that expectation of what we think of as perfection without suffering or problems that we miss the mark, that we deprive ourselves not only of the power to make things better, to participate in the creativity of life, to allow the great power of the God acting through us for good, we also deprive ourselves of the ultimate peace, serenity, bliss, no wholeness that is possible to us if, as the Buddha and Lao Tse and others taught, we are not attached to the idea that things 
will be one way only, that suffering will not exist. I cannot say that I will not be attached to things or people or whatever, for I will, I am, and I want to be attached, connected, involved. But I can say that I need not be attached to the expectation that there will be no difficulties in this life. This modest bit of enlightenment may not end my suffering, but I can and often do find peace and compassion for others, even in the midst of any suffering. I do my part as I see it, but I do not know for certain that my ideas of how things ought to be are the best way, should supplant the ultimate truth of what is evolving, happening, however convoluted and even wrong it may seem to be at the moment. I must do my part to act on my truth, for good, hopefully. But I must not assume my truth is the only or the ultimate truth. I must remind myself of what the poet Tagore said, that a bigot is one who says, Truth depends upon me, not I depend upon truth. In my meditation... All that came through me in a flash, not for the first time, but deeply, now in this week of suffering by so many, when I have felt so unable to make it better for anyone. And so in this morning meditation, that awareness, that reminder of my own spiritual journey through many wildernesses of faith in these nearly 82 years, this morning I did feel deeply that peace that passes understanding. And it was enough, more than enough. But how to say all that now, what I felt, experienced. So simple to say, so complicated to know. Must I use duality's reason and reason's words? Used like painters to paint around the representation of light in a watercolor painting, must my words spread out around this all-knowing silence? In my attempting to describe this knowing about being, about beingness itself, this oneness, this one life, must I fall back into traditional divisions of I and thou, me and you, God, if so, I bow to you, knowing I'm not separate from you, great life, great one, great spirit, of all that is you. Your life is all life, including my life and my grandson's life and all else. You, that which flows through all things. You, that is all things. There is none other essence and energy, all one, one life. You manifesting in all these myriad ways, politicians and storms, grandchildren and wind, all these people and plants and rocks and birds and, and stardust and, and everything else. You multiplying, multiplicity, you are that wholeness 
out of which all these extensions or perturbances or shapes or colors and people and events occur, making visible somehow your unseen, unseeable self. You, the ultimate source, the one life. And as I'm feeling all that, being all that, I realize with a bubble of laughter or a sob, what an intricate and enlightening strangeness it is to know that all this time the you living as me has been praying earnestly for the you living as them. <laughs> While we are all you, all of us, all of us suffering and praying, and questioning and complaining and delighting and arguing and plotting and creating and anything. All of these, all of us, open out the back into you. We are all only you, great mystery that you are. So that means that you are my praying. You are they're suffering, and they're deciding whether to live or die. And at last, the shred of you that I call me dissolves, melts into what again is experienced as a vast love, a vast, eternal, all-encompassing, paradoxical, but real love, the most real thing of all, this one life that infuses me with this one love, a love that once felt flows out, out with a resonant tenderness toward all, especially including those who suffer, those in confusion, pain, despair, anger, hurt, need, and even as I feel all that they are feeling with them, I pray that they can feel with me this love that heals, makes whole. I pray that they can feel this love, this unseen, unseeable, but real love that is and also can be life so rich and full and vibrant and loving, worth living so very worth living. Calmness settles within me as the expanding complexity of loving vibrates and resonates within my heart space. That is your heart space, of course, great mystery. As I repeat a new mantra, all mine is thine, all mine is thine, for I am thine now and forever, however it is, in you, in me, in them, in all, all is thine. And I move deeper and deeper, beyond any words that sever or say or separate, I go into that vastness that is most empty, but not empty, not emptiness, but is full full fullness. And so now in the aftermath of the silence of this morning's meditation, 
having let go of clinging on to the fraying ropes of why and how and when and where. After I have let go into an undifferentiated wholeness, into awareness of the energy and essence of that love that is, I am releasing, relaxing for now, for now, miraculously trusting through experience the unseen, the unknowable, non-visible, the eternal highlight, the light, however dark the surrounding shadows and forms are, however mysteriously real the hardship and suffering around me is and may be, yet, yet the joys, the beauties, the wonder wraps it all round with infinite love and wisdom. And my prayer becomes more than words any words can say. So why say here? Why read this here in this podcast too? Well, as always, such love overflows. <laughs> And it will go out everywhere. Hopefully, hopefully, even into these unsayable words of mine. To you, all of you, you are in my prayers. Thus. (laughs) This is Glenda Taylor. Join me again for the next podcast on what undoubtedly will be an entirely different subject. Until then, visit me on the website at oneandallwisdom.com. Mm-hmm.